Welcome to Pick 6 Movies, where each and every season, we pick six different movies that fall under one common theme, hence the title. We're going to talk about how, when, where, and why each of these movies was made. And in addition to all of that, at no charge to you, gentle listener, you're going to get a full review of the movie from me, your old pal Bo Ransdell, and my co-host Chad Cooper. So this is season six, or shall I say season six, episode three, or should I say episode trois, because this season is all about sexy times. In fact, we call it, you can do it. Last week, we saw a guy fall apart due to a midlife crisis, but this week, enough of that whiny guy stuff. This one's for the ladies. That's right, we're going to be talking about 2012's Magic Mike, starring Channing Tatum as, you know, a male stripper. Chad's got some really good backstory for you, and then we are going to dive headfirst into a sea of man meat. So hold on to your Speedos, and let's get started. If we're going to talk about hunky guys on the big screen taking off their clothes for throngs of screaming women with dancing, erotic pelvic gyrations. Well, we got to start with one guy. That's James Cagney. Early in his career, Cagney was somewhat typecast as a gangster, gunning down his enemies with a Tommy gun and smacking dames in the face with grapefruits. But in 1942, Cagney showed off his singing and dancing skills, and he won an Academy Award for his portrayal of George M. Cohen for the film Yankee Doodle Dandy. Now, if you don't know George M. Cohen, well, you should. He's the man credited as the father of the American musical comedy. Cohen wrote, composed, produced, and appeared in over 30 Broadway musicals, and he published over 300 songs in his lifetime, including, but not limited to, The Patriotic Toe Tappers, Over There, and You're a Grand Old Flag. He also wrote the Great White Way's anthem, Give My Regards to Broadway, and he composed Yankee Doodle Boy, the signature song from Cagney's portrayal in the film about the legendary composer. Cagney's performance in Yankee Doodle Dandy is something to behold. It is so full of energy and it displays a level of patriotism that can only fully be understood knowing that filming of the movie began the day after the attack on Pearl Harbor. It's patriotism with purpose. When Yankee Doodle Dandy opened, there was a paid premiere that raised $5.7 million for war bonds in the U.S. Treasury in support of the war effort. Not too shabby for the film featuring the patriotic oeuvre of a true song and dance man of the stage, Cohen, being performed by one of the greatest song and dance men of the silver screen, Cagney. And it's that title, Song and Dance Man that has been used to describe quite a few performers over the last 100 plus years of American cinema. Fred Astaire and co-star Ginger Rogers would glide and spin in an easy style of elegant choreographed movement, setting a standard of how men and women would dance in movies. Oftentimes, accompanying Astaire and Rogers were the songs of George Gershwin and Irving Berlin that really convinced many moviegoers that heck anybody could perform these dance moves with such effortless ease. But it was Gene Kelly that really put the man in Song and Dance Man. Gene Kelly, much like Fred Astaire, started his career in Broadway and made his way to Hollywood where he became a contract performer with MGM. 
It was Kelly who made dancing in Hollywood musicals more masculine. His movements were oftentimes more brawny and macho. You know, the dancing the way us regular guys dance, with broads, sexy broads. Gene Kelly was a performer who could pull off graceful dance moves of varying styles with a variety of partners, including the beautiful Sid Charisse and the animated rodent Jerry Mouse. Gene Kelly was a charming, graceful, strong male dancer who looked like he could take you out back and kick your ass if he had a mind to. And his performances in the films An American in Paris and Singing in the Rain really captured Kelly's energy and his charming screen presence made him an icon in the golden age of Hollywood as a true song and dance man. Alongside Kelly and Singing in the Rain was Donald O'Connor, who managed to combine physical comedy, acrobatics, and dance in the iconic song and dance number, Make Em Laugh. You should really seek it out if you've never seen it. And when you do, keep in mind that Donald O'Connor had to do this performance twice, because the first time he did it, the aperture on the camera was off and the whole thing came out blurry. And when discussing the greatest song and dance men of Hollywood, you certainly have to mention Sammy Davis Jr., who began performing at the age of three in vaudeville. Like many of his contemporaries, Davis Jr. found great success on Broadway and made his way to the silver screen. Davis Jr. could do it all. He would sing, dance, act, comedy, impressions. It, he was the real deal performer. As movies grew in popularity, all of these actors from the Broadway stage found themselves having to make a little room on the silver screen for a wave of pop singers who were looking to make their name in Hollywood as song and dance men. The Beatles, Elvis Presley, Frankie Avalon, just to name a few. They all took to the screen and they wiggled their hips and danced to pop tunes to show that they could evolve beyond Billboard Top 10 performers and make their way as a matinee screen idol. As the 50s and early 60s drew to a close and the counterculture movement took hold, the idea of a song and dance man returned to the stage as successful Broadway shows were being adapted into feature films. The 1968 Broadway musical Hair mashed up the hippie movement and the sexual revolution of the 1960s. The musical songs became anthems for the anti-Vietnam War peace movement, a far cry from Cagney's rah-rah all-American performance of I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy. The musical hair featured drugs and sex and was pretty irreverent in how it treated the American flag. Plus, there was a whole nude scene that got people way up in arms. Despite this not being your grandpa's Yankee Doodle Dandy style Broadway production, the musical made its way to theaters a decade after it originally premiered on Broadway. In 1978, famed film director Milos Forman adapted hair for the big screen. Forman would later go on to direct the biographical films of Mozart in Amadeus, Hustler publisher Larry Flint in The People vs. Larry Flint, and Andy Kaufman in Man on the Moon. Despite receiving mostly positive reviews for the movie adaptation of Hair, it may have been too little too late, as just two years earlier, movie superstar and Scientology poster boy John Travolta boogied his way down the streets of New York City in John Badham's Saturday Night Fever. Travolta's performance showcased his ability to dance, but it didn't require him to sing. The musical duties of the song and dance act were being relegated to the iconic Bee Gees disco soundtrack. The song and dance man was no longer one and the same. Yes, there was dancing and yes, there was singing, but these responsibilities were being shared among performers to sell more tickets at the box office and more records at the music store. 
One year after the release of Saturday Night Fever, John Travolta would go back in time and play a singing and dancing bad boy in the 1978 adaptation of the Broadway musical Grease. But then a couple years later, Travolta and Deborah Winger would spring forward and usher in the era of honky-tonk country western dancing in the film Urban Cowboy. Now, these three performances seemingly guaranteed Travolta a place in the cinematic male dancing hall of fame. But then, a few years later, Travolta made the film Stan Alive, a sequel to Saturday Night Fever, and everything just kind of fell apart. Despite Travolta dancing in those Look Who's Talking movies, it really took Quentin Tarantino and the movie Pulp Fiction to write that ship and remind audiences why they love to see John Travolta dancing in the first place. Moving into the 80s, dance movies embraced the rise of the popularity of breakdancing. In 1984, there were a couple of Canon Studio films that highlighted the breakdancing craze. The first was Breakin', which was released in May of that year. And then seven months later, Breakin' 2 Electric Boogaloo was released in theaters. Two movies, same theme, same year. You know, those were the days when you could release not just one terrible dance-themed movie, but crank out a hastily thrown-together sequel that nobody really wanted in the span of just a few short months. Speaking of 1984, this was the same year that Kevin Bacon used his dancing skills in Footloose to do battle with Pick 6 Movies' film favorite bad guy, John Lithgow, who played a religious leader who outlaws not just dancing, but rock music in a small town of these United States. In this film, Kenny Loggins provided the iconic pop song for the Footloose soundtrack in this classic film of the Cold War Reagan era. And speaking of the Cold War, Gregory Hines and Mikhail Baryshnikov performed ballet in 1985's White Nights, a film about a Soviet ballet dancer who defects from the Soviet Union. While in the background, we got to hear Lionel Richie sing his way to an Oscar with his hit song, Say You, Say Me. And you know what? Not for nothing. Backup Genesis frontman Phil Collins, he joined forces with Marilyn Martin to sing the song Separate Lives for this movie as well. And they got an Oscar nomination, but obviously they didn't win. All of these movies featuring seductive and sexy male dancers, for the most part, all have one thing in common. They featured actors dancing around wearing the majority of their clothes. And it wouldn't be until 1997 that a movie came out that was brave enough to show audiences what they wanted to see when it came to sexy male dancing. And that movie was The Full Monty. The Full Monty was a 1997 comedy written by Simon Bufoy, who would go on to write Slumdog Millionaire, for which he would win an Oscar. He also wrote 127 Hours, in which James Franco would go on to cut off his own arm with a pocket knife. The Full Monty tells the story of six unemployed guys who decide to do a male strip tease in the style of Chippendale dancers to raise enough money for one of the guys to go to see his son. Now, you might have thought they were going to raise money for him to go to college, but that trope is reserved for lady strippers, not male strippers. The name of the movie, The Full Monty, is a reference to men taking off all of their clothes and showing everything. And by everything, I mean their penises. Despite the movie's promise of going all the way and showing male penises, the IMDb Parents Guide reports, buttocks are visible, and although subtle and very easy to miss, a man's testicles can be seen as well. However, no frontal nudity is seen. Truly a big screen cock tease. And so it was in the 1990s and early 2000s, 
Animated family films cornered the market on cinematic musicals and big dance numbers, none of which, to my knowledge, included storylines that featured male strippers or full frontal male nudity. And it would be over a decade before audiences got the chance to explore the world of an all-male review. And this came in the fully oiled up, rippling muscled 2012 film Magic Mike. Magic Mike stars Channing Tatum, Alex Pettifer, Joe Manganiello, and Matthew McConaughey, among many others. I mean, it's a real who's who of who's that? Reed Carolyn wrote the screenplay based in part on Channing Tatum's experiences as an 18-year-old male stripper in Tampa, Florida, where Tatum danced under the name Chan Crawford, which if you want to generate your own Tampa-based stripper name, it's real easy. You just take the last name of your favorite Jackie and put it together with the last name of your favorite Cindy. For example, my male stripper name from Tampa is Earl Haley Brady. Channing Tatum eventually hung up his thong in Tampa and he moved to Miami, Florida, where he was discovered by a model talent scout. In the year 2000, Tatum was cast in Ricky Martin's She Bangs music video, and he got 400 bucks for that payday. He started working as a model, which led to TV commercials for Mountain Dew and Pepsi. He soon started appearing in national print ad campaigns for Abercrombie & Fitch, Nautica, Dolce & Gabbana, American Eagle Outfitters. Basically, he was selling everything you could buy in a mall in the early 2000s. And just six years after dancing alongside Ricky Martin, Tatum was cast opposite Amanda Bynes in the film She's the Man. Following that, Tatum was cast alongside his future ex-wife, dance-themed feature film Step Up, which really put him on the map. This movie led to more roles in feature films, and Tatum eventually landed the role in Michael Mann's 2009 crime drama Public Enemies, playing the 1930s gangster Pretty Boy Floyd. That same year, Tatum played iconic action figure Duke in the Hasbro toy-themed movie G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. His good looks and easy screen charm landed him the lead role in Nicholas Sparks' romantic love story, Dear John, thus proving to just about everybody, you don't have to go to acting school to have a successful career in acting. You know, there's only one thing that I know about show business, and there's no business like it. No business that I know. In August of 2009, things took a turn for the unexpected, as the guy who hired Tatum to dance at that Tampa strip club sold a video of Channing Tatum dancing in said strip club to the reputable publication Us Weekly. What? An unscrupulous strip club owner? I've never heard of such a thing. Channing Tatum's PR team lost their minds, but Tatum was cool with it. In a profile for GQ magazine, Tatum said of the incident, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm a person who doesn't hide shit. And so his career continued with all the more success. In 2012, Channing Tatum hosted Saturday Night Live. He was named People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive, and he appeared in four feature films. These movies included The Vow with Rachel McAdams, 21 Jump Street with Jonah Hill, and two films directed by Steven Soderbergh, the action thriller Haywire, and the other was Magic Mike. 
Soderbergh's 1989 independent film Sex, Lies, and Videotape set him on a path to be really one of the most prolific and successful filmmakers of the last three decades. His directorial hits include Aaron Brockovich, Traffic, Logan Lucky, Ocean's Eleven, Twelve, and Thirteen. Tatum came to Soderbergh with the idea for Magic Mike with the idea that Tatum would play the lead character Mike as a fictionalized version of Tatum himself alongside Alex Pettifer as his stripping ingenue Adam. The original screenplay was buttoned up and polished. The dance numbers of the film were choreographed by Alison Falk. Falk had appeared in numerous other movies, usually as a dancer, and she choreographed dance scenes from other movies, including the Hannah Montana movie, which I did not see. But you know what I did see? The episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia titled Mac Finds His Pride, where show creator Rob McElhaney's character, Mac, comes to terms with his sexual identity and resolves issues with his father through a beautiful dance number atop a water-covered floor inside a men's prison. If you're a fan of the show, or even if you're not, and you missed that episode, it's really something special, and I highly recommend you seek it out. A little bit later, we're going to discuss Magic Mike in exhaustive detail once Bo finishes his chest-waxing regimen, so I'll just give you a few behind-the-scene highlights and some really juicy gossip. Alex Pettifer reportedly was a huge pain in the ass on the set and Channing Tatum didn't care for him at all. Soderbergh really wanted Pettifer and Tatum put up with Pettifer because the director wanted him in the role. But when it came time for the Magic Mike sequel, Magic Mike XXL, there's no Pettifer to be found. Speaking of missing cast members from the original movie that didn't make it into the sequel, Matthew McConaughey got nixed from the follow-up as well. McConaughey is in the original Magic Mike movie, but McConaughey had no stripping experience, and by some accounts, the only real formal dance training that he had included a bongo, a beach campfire, and a joint the size of your thumb. In the original Magic Mike, McConaughey asked if he could sing and dance, you know, like a modern-day James Cagney. And in his scene, McConaughey played an acoustic guitar and sings the song Ladies of Tampa, which was reportedly written by McConaughey, his guitar coach, and the movie's music supervisor. In this scene, he wears leather chaps and a leather vest and a cowboy hat. And at the end of the song, he blows fire out of his mouth and he smashes the guitar on the stage a la Pete Townsend. And then McConaughey strips. There is no doubt in my mind that Matthew McConaughey not only wrote this song, but most likely wrote this entire scene. Joe Manganiello plays Big Dick Richie, one only assumes because Joe Manganiello has a great big dick. One could ask his real-life wife and rooms-to-go spokesperson, Sofia Vergara, but, you know, that may be a bit too personal. Magic Mike opened in theaters on June 29th in 2012, and it came in second at the box office right behind the movie Ted, which featured a sentient teddy bear voiced by Family Guy creator Seth MacFarlane alongside former sexy dancer Mark Wahlberg. Audiences attending Magic Mike on opening weekend were 73% female, with almost half of the audience over the age of 35 because they wanted to see good-looking hunky beefcake shake their sexy asses on the big screen. And it paid off for the filmmakers, and most notably Channing Tatum. Magic Mike was a hit. The movie made over $113 million in the United States with a worldwide box office draw of $167 million off of a budget of just $7 million, officially making it the highest grossing movie of the dance genre to date. 
And surprising, well, at least to me, the movie was very well reviewed. It currently has an 80% freshness rating over on Rotten Tomatoes, and as noted earlier, its success financially and critically led to the sequel Magic Mike XXL. The movie generated a Magic Mike live show in Las Vegas cleverly titled Magic Mike Live Las Vegas. For Channing Tatum, Magic Mike was a real turning point in his already successful career. The movie was pivotal in that it signaled a moment where Tatum would be taking more control of the work that he produced as an actor, as a filmmaker, and as a writer, and just as an all-around performer and entertainer. Tatum proved to be a handsome, charming, subdued performer that is easy to underestimate, but impossible to ignore. Tatum played a stripper, a gangster, a soldier, an undercover cop, twice, a secret service agent, a murdered Olympic wrestler, and a half-man, half-dog creature that zipped around the galaxy on rocket shoes. He did all of this with a lovable charm that could take you out back and beat your ass if he had the mind to. Channing Tatum is truly the Gene Kelly of his generation. But what about Magic Mike? Can a movie about male strippers deliver a compelling narrative and engaging characters? Is it redundant to call male strippers pole dancers? And just how long will men have to put up with constantly being objectified as sexual objects by the women of the world? Hello, my eyes are up here. Look at me when I'm talking to you. Well, there's just one way to find out. Ladies and gentlemen, Chips and Dales, coming up on the center stage, it's 2012's Magic Mike. Sheila, the buffet needs more buffalo wings. I gotta go take a dump. Let's fucking get it on. That is the first line of the movie Magic Mike, and I want it to be the guiding principle for this review. Welcome everyone to Pick 6 Movies. My name is Chad Cooper. As always, I am joined by the talented, the lovely, the insightful Mr. Bo Ransdell. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> I am so delighted to be talking about this movie right now. <laughs> You're right. It is like in Mad Max Fury Road when you see that Village Roadshow logo or whatever and you hear that engine go, you know what it is you're getting into. You know? It's like, buckle up. This movie is going to be a bunch of crazy cars and a bunch of ghost teenagers hopping around on stilts and shit, and it's going to be great. Whereas this movie does the same thing, only with Matthew McConaughey <laughs> saying, y'all want to get in on. And you're just like, fucking, yes, I want to get in on Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> this is like the movie equivalent of Homer Simpson's space-aged moon waffles. <laughs> All of the ingredients are just like, you. it's strippers, it's McConaughey, they're in Tampa, Florida, it's Channing Tatum, it involves drug dealing. This sounds delicious. Of course I want to see this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you tell me that Matthew McConaughey is the owner of a male strip club in Tampa, Florida, <laughs> and you can stop right there. I'm in. <laughs> And then you go further and say his name is Dallas. And I'm like, fuck, are you serious? 
And it's like, oh, and by the way, he is going to be breathing fire at a certain point in this film. Mm -hmm. And I would leave like a bow-shaped hole in the wall (laughs) to get to that fucking movie. (laughs) So neither of us had seen this film before we proposed this season. Which I found interesting. You and I have seen a pretty disparate group of films. You know, you have certain types of genres that attract you. Um, I don't in my own <laughs> special way. But we've neither seen this. So I was really excited to, for, for us to come together fresh. We've, we haven't discussed this. Let me also say in preface before we, we jump into the film itself. I'm not a big fan of movies where people sing and dance. And if they do that in tandem, I generally like it even less. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have what I refer to as the monsters and monkeys clause Mm -hmm. which is if there is a musical and or film where dancing occurs that also includes monsters and or monkeys i'm in putting on the weird (laughs) yes uh little shop of horrors (laughs) any of the muppet films the list goes on and on chad the wizard of oz to some extent because there are flying monkeys and that son of a bitch you know what i can't disagree with that i'm not a fan of the golden age of musicals where a man would court a woman by beginning to sing a song about corn or how he wanted to go riding in a wagon or something like that. I don't know. I find someone dancing at me to be terrifying. This starts on a on, on a, like an old-timey style Time Warner logo, which I, I kind of dig. Mm-hmm. And it's just Soderbergh being indulgent, and that's fine. Soderbergh's yeah. earned it. It's Matthew McConaughey against a black screen, as you said, beginning with swear words. <laughs> And then laying down the rules. At his club, exquisite, spelled X-Q-U-I-S-I-T-E, trademark registered. (laughs) Right, because the only way you can spell the word exquisite in Tampa is without an E. (laughs) This club is perpetually filled with middle-aged women, bridal showers, 21st birthday girl celebrations, but not, I want to point out, any gay guys. I think that's a different club. I don't. I do. I mean, maybe not. It feels like you wouldn't want to be the oasis of homosexuality in a sea of estrogen like that. I don't think that would be fun as a gay person. So Matthew McConaughey is laying down the rules, and and the rules are... Number one. (laughs) Number one. Police say you can't touch this. He's touching his bare chest, and of course he is a sun-bronze god of a physique man. Then he's like... They say you can't touch this. And then he grabs his ass. No, 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 no. (laughs) Yeah. Rule number three. (laughs) The police say you can't touch this. And then he just grabs his dick. And of course, all the ladies go crazy. But he says, but I see a lot of lawbreakers in the audience tonight. Yes, I do. And you're just like, oh, God damn. This is the most essence of McConaughey. (laughs) Of him being charming and half nude in front of a sea of older women. You know, it is perfect. I I know there's a sequel, which obviously I haven't seen. No, but I will now. I'm into it. But he's not in it. McConaughey's not in the sequel. Well, that makes sense. I was like, hell, I want to see a spinoff movie that's just the life of Matthew McConaughey's character, which I just think is probably a documentary about Matthew McConaughey. I think this guy's a little sleazier, but I would like to see the spinoff movie of his club in Miami, that 4,000 square foot son of a bitch that he opens up. Who owns more bongos, 
Dallas from Magic Mike or Matthew McConaughey in the real world? Oh, real Matthew McConaughey every day. I think all the bongos in this movie came from McConaughey's home. Right. They didn't have them on set. <laughs> they're, they're not in the script. It's just... Hey, y'all, I brought a, a bongo. I hope that's cool. I'm just going to do it in the same if that's all right. And they're just like, what the fuck ever, Matthew? I mean, <laughs> it's your world. We're just living in it, man. All right, all right. <laughs> I'll be here. I'll tell you what. You you boys know what Sky is. You are going to know that by the end of the shoot. I guarantee you that. You like real big fish. <laughs> After the rules, we get a title card that says June. Help me out with the timeline here. Because I was trying to figure out, is the opening scene with the rules, is that taking place present day? Or are we flashing forward into the future and then coming back to the past? What was your interpretation of that? I thought it was chronological that like we're seeing the McConaughey speech and the movie is saying like, hey, by the way, this is June. Okay. I don't think we're doing flashbacks and flash forwards here, mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, you don't know. It's, hey, it's Soderbergh. He's an experimental filmmaker, Chad. Right. Did you see that Unsane movie where he shot it all on an iPhone? I did. I didn't. <laughs> There's part of me that respects it, but also just knock it off. You <laughs> You know, like Wes Anderson can get away with his like vintage cameras and shit, but how about you keep it at least with a red camera and Soderbergh? <laughs> it's June, and then we see uh, Channing Tatum, the titular Magic Mind, yes. is waking up in this golden lit room because there's a lot of like yellow washed out colors all through this movie, and he's all naked because he's been fucking Olivia Munn. I gotta tell you, man, we're two minutes into this movie, and this film immediately gives the audience what they came to see: Channing Tatum's ass. This is the one movie we've talked about so far this season that is just like, oh, this is legit. Like you came to see hunky dudes showing off their shit. And that's exactly what happens in this movie. I also like that coupled with his ass shot, like for any boyfriend or husband who got dragged to this movie and they're sitting there like, oh, Jesus Christ, you know, like man ass. But then immediately you see Olivia Munn topless and you know, the guys at Mr. Skin were just beside themselves when you saw her without a shirt on. Oh, sure. That was a real white well. We got one! Gonna tell you a story about some, about some little boobs I know. Magic Mike and Olivia Munn, they're waking up after having a threesome with some strange woman. And I gotta tell you, this scene was really funny. And in the hands of a competent, intelligent director, all of this plays out perfectly. It is, they just reveal each layer of the characters, what's going on, the relationship between the two. But at a certain point, I was thinking, is this movie a comedy? Is it a drama? How should I be interpreting this information? Because this woman is laying nude in the bed and I'm thinking, is she going to be dead? I thought it was the night before with Jeff Bridges. <laughs> like he was just going to roll in there and be like, oh shit, another another dead woman in bed. I was expecting John Tatura to come in, smack her on the ass to kill a mosquito and then have her roll over covered in blood. Oh, uh, we should have watched that movie. <laughs> anyway, so, but the, but the gag here, which I like, is that you get the reveal that they were having a threesome and that the, the girl that they were having the threesome with is still passed out. And they're arguing about waking her up. Then uh, Olivia Munn is like, holy shit, you don't remember her name. And, <laughs> and Channing Tatum is like, I, I, sorry, I don't, I am, you know, I can't. And he's like, well, you, you wake her up then. And then the gag is Olivia Munn then realizes she can't remember her name either. And then just yells out Penelope. 
to which she doesn't move. And it's a really good gag. It's a, a really funny scene. And it, and like you said, it kind of reveals the character. Like there's a shot of him like shaving his pubes and shit while she's getting dressed. You see that he, he he's talking about his Mike's custom furnishings, his, his, the furniture business that he wants to start, but the bank is kind of bad. And he, you can tell that he's kind of full of shit in this scene. See, I took him as being a little more sincere at this point in the film, at least on, on initial viewing. But he goes right by a van outside his place. Like when he, he's getting ready to leave. And when he leaves, there's actually a van that says Mike's mobile detail. And it's like, oh, okay, so he's got all these dumb businesses. Right. But I'm saying on initial viewing, He's saying, hey, look, I take stuff that comes out of the ocean and I craft it together to make something useful as opposed to something decorative. Like, I'm, I'm trying to make something better of my life. So I was like, oh, that's good. But yeah, then we see this van and you're like, oh, wait a minute. You're just one of those dudes that's got, right. you know, a bunch of stuff that you start and you never really finish any of them. Like, okay, I see what you're doing. And he was like, good for you. It's nice to have a competent director to pull together a story. Who's actually showing and not telling because the next thing you you have happen is he shows up at a totally different job which is at a construction site. He's given, and here's the other thing that Soderbergh does with this scene that's pretty clever. You can tell that the guy running the construction site kind of trusts Mike to handle shit. Mm -hmm. Because he's like, hey, I hired a bunch of guys to help out today off of Craigslist because I didn't want to deal with a bunch of union bullshit. And Mike's just like, oh, you gotta be kidding me, man. And like, he ends up getting stuck with this, this young dude who lied on the Craigslist ad when he replied to it, saying that he knew how to do roofing, when in reality he did not. And in fact, Mike pegs him right away because he's wearing sneakers instead of boots. And it's just like, look at this fucking guy. Like, he's never been on a construction site in his life. This is Adam, who's played by Alex Pettifer. The kid. I just want a quick detour. Did you ever go trolling around the, the dark areas of Craigslist, like the weird shit before, you know, the feds got in there and shut that shit down? Not really. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a sensitive sort when you get right down to it, Chad. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> like a, a bit puriate in mm -hmm. my own weird way. So when I see, like, I can go part of the way down that hole, but as soon as it's like, you know, I want somebody to cut me, I'm just like, oh, heavens to Betsy. And like, get the fuck out of there as quick as I can. Did you, what did you find? All kinds of crazy shit. I remember, you know how some couples, they wake up on Sunday morning and they have their coffee and they read the New York times and they do the crossword puzzle and whatever else. Like there was a time where my wife and I would like wake up on Sunday morning and go to Craigslist and just read through the deviant misconnections. It would be things like, you know, like I was at the Burger King on Westmore street I went over and smelled the seat after you left and your scent has stayed with me. And it's just like, <laughs> what? Who wrote this? Like, these are crazy people. I, I knew a guy that did a hookup off of a Craigslist. <laughs> and he said it was the most unpleasant vagina he'd ever smelled was his experience with Craigslist. <laughs> Take that how you will. Uh, <laughs> So, so the yeah, so Adam, the dumbass who showed up uh, to the construction site in sneakers and doesn't know how to actually tile anything, uh, gets busted by the construction boss trying to swipe a Pepsi, <laughs> which I kind of like because immediately it's like, oh, this guy's just a punk. 
Like he's already swiping the soda, like an extra soda for later. You know, just like, oh, what a piece of shit. And his car is broken down. Uh-huh. So Magic Mike is going to take him home. In the there are a, a couple of little details in, in the car that are interesting. Like First off, he's driving a brand new Ford pickup truck. It's like a F-250, F-150, F-something 50. It's got the the plastic still on on the dash and, and stuff. Adam is kind of picking at some of the, the plastic coating. And Mike is like, hey, man, don't do that. Leave the plastic on there. Because Mike's plan is he's going to, when he sells it, that's when he's going to pull the plastic off so that it'll look like it's new. It's it's a stupid idea, but it's kind of, again, it's a gag that I think is pretty funny <laughs> and, and also sort of uh, illuminates the character a bit more, which is that he does have all these crazy ideas, but... It's all just disconnected, disparate stuff. Yes. Like, there's no through line to Mike's life. So Mike takes him home, and we we kind of hang out with Adam, who is playing video games on his sister's couch, uh, who is Brooke. Adam lives with Brooke at her house because, as you pointed out, Adam is a bit of a shithead. He is a real low life all throughout like this movie. There, his arc is going from shitty person to shittier person. I will say, just to sort of let you know where I'm going to land with this movie, I think everything about this movie could have been done better. If it had been much more gritty, less shaking of the ass, and if it had been more boogie nights. I don't disagree with that, but also I like the fact that it kind of plays in this kind of real world, but with an emphasis of the movie being like, hey, look at these guys shaking their ass. <laughs> like, it, the movie does just <laughs> throw on the brakes a couple of times to shake an ass to shake an ass and i kind of respect it like but that's what people paid to come see unlike the full monty or some of these other movies again in this film in the first two minutes you see channing tatum's naked ass and at least three or four times we get a montage of dudes on stage shaking their ass wiggling their dicks albeit you know covered to some extent you do get dick in this movie though we're coming to it pretty fast no pun intended. You do you you saw a dick? There yes, there is a dick in this movie. Oh yeah, 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 you're right. You're right. Oh yeah, I've got some questions about that dick. I forgot yeah. about that. That that but that that's more of like a it's kind of a clinical dick. It's not yeah. a it's not a hey ladies, say hello to you, my little friend. You do get a silhouette of a dick that I have a question about <laughs> myself. Because if that's real, I need to hang it the fuck up. <laughs> no wonder he's married to Sofia Vergara. In this movie, Brooke, the sister, is played by Cody Horn. And I've never seen her in anything else. I looked up her IMDb. I don't know her body of work. She plays to the realistic kind of acting that this film is trafficking in, kind of. I will say that every scene that she has with Magic Mike, the two of them have, I'm not sure what the word you would call it. It's the opposite of chemistry awfulness when they're together (laughs) well because he's so charming and she is i don't know if she's playing it this way or if this is you know just just the way that her character comes across or whatever she is such a blank slate in this film Uh that it's like watching someone play racquetball by themselves where it's just him like (laughs) hey here's a charming thing hey yeah hey people love breakfast this is a place where breakfast people come Hey, you're, if you're a breakfast person, why don't you come out here? Thwack. And then it just hits her, and he's like, huh. All right. Well, hey, um, how about this? I, I'm going to tell you about the furniture business I got. I, I think you're going to be kind of interested in it. Thwack. <laughs> 
Uh, hey, have you thought of uh, coming and watch me dance? Because I'm a pretty good dancer. I'm going to get you. Uh, never mind. It's a real vacuum. Her performance is rivaled in its stoic nature only by that of Benicio Del Toro in The Wolfman. See season three, episode <laughs> six of Pick Six Movies. I was going to say Ray Fiennes in uh, Schindler's List. That kind of cold <laughs> detachment. <laughs> or De Niro during the first 20 minutes or last 15 minutes of Awakenings. Yeah, I thought you were going to say Taxi Driver and I was going to go with that too. <laughs> Are you charming to me? Are you charming to me? In this scene where Adam is talking to Brooke, he's like, yeah, you know, I lost that job I got on Craigslist. Surprise, surprise. And then she's like, well, what about that other job? And he says, I was, you know, I was going to go get a job at T-Mobile, but they wanted me to wear a tie. And Adam's like, no way. And then during this conversation, the whole time Adam's playing video games. And then it ends with Adam doing an impression of Arnold Schwarzenegger, which I think this is supposed to make you like him. It didn't. It made me dislike him more. I don't know how you took that but it was just like this just this guy just seemed like a total shithead hey i i took it just fine i think mine's better (laughs) i was like let's see what you got nope we then cut to brooke and she's on a date with some guy who's wearing a tie which i'll bet he works with those stuck-up jerks over at (laughs) t-mobile and and for some reason she's invited her brother adam to come along and adam's wearing this like red hoodie and he looks like elliot from et but all grown up and during this scene this guy's mouthing off about business and work and responsibility and then adam just finishes off brooks beer which is mostly backwash and foam but the the reason this is what a dirtbag she's dating and it, it he probably just asked her out and then assumed that she was uh his girlfriend And she just never responded to it one way or the other. He tells her at a certain point, she's like drinking this beer that Adam eventually finishes off. He stops her and he's like, no, 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 babe. I told you I had a long day and I was going to do some drinking tonight. You, you got to drive. You're the, you're the DD of this table. (laughs) Surprise. And, and then she's, because she's such, so milk toast in this film, she is like, Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot here. You can finish my beer. And that's when Adam is like, I'll take this back while she's my sister after all. Little sister. Bigger sister? Mm-hmm. I, I think older sister because uh. she is, she's got her medical job or whatever. And he says he's only 19. I've never been in a situation with friends or coworkers where the concept of a designated driver has ever come up. I mean, it pretty much has always ended with who's the least fucked up. You're driving. There's no one there. It's like, I'll just have club soda with lime. Oh, yeah. And a shit ton of vodka. Back in the day where I was irresponsible enough to get that drunk in public. Back in the day. No, I mean, I. (laughs) you would be you would be stunned how little I drink. You would be stunned how much I drink. I would not be stunned at all by that. I've been uh, at that Taco Bell drive. There you go. On more than one occasion. Sure. That's happened more than once. Yes. And, and everyone is drunk in that car. Yeah. It's wonderful. I live a very European lifestyle, Bo. You do. Uh, That's what I admire. <laughs> I, I, live, I live a very Appalachian lifestyle. Good God. Oh my. Your life sounds horrible compared to mine. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> so uh after he leaves after finishing off his sister's beer adam is uh on the streets just walking the streets like a vagrant and he looks like a homeless person 
Yeah, he's just got this red hoodie on and kind of looks... I mean, basically, it's the same clothes he had when he was working construction that day. He sees Mike on the street, and he's like, hey, get me into this club that you're going into... And Mike is like, what are you talking about, man? You're not dressed for this. Like, look at me. I'm And Channing Tatum is kind of dressed to the nines. And he's also Channing Tatum. You know, he's this big hunk of filet mignon in a vest. Everyone in this movie is incredibly beautiful. They all look like models. It's one of those things where they're supposed to look like John Q. Public and, you know, Susie R. What's her name? They all look like they just left the salon. Their hair is perfect. Their five o'clock shadow is just the right length to be handsome and not disturbing or off-putting. <laughs> Creepy, I think is the word, yeah. Yeah, but it's just like, you're all beautiful, beautiful people. Even Adam in this scene is unbelievably handsome yeah. compared to normal, you know, trolls that are just walking around in day-to-day -day society. I think maybe one of the reasons I kind of like this movie is because it you know, I almost used the the phrase earlier, magical realism, and because there are these heightened moments of the dance sequences and the, and the weirder shit that goes on in the film played against these scenes that are almost mumblecore in their their efforts at being sort of realistic conversation and realistic moments uh, between the characters. And, and that's one of the things I think I like about it is that it does kind of always have this whiff of Hollywood about it. Like these people are a little too pretty and this dance number is going on a little bit too long. And by the way, the silhouette of that dick is a little too big. We'll get to it. Can you imagine seeing that in the theater? Just like I would have stood up and applauded. <laughs> I would have run out screaming. I remember being a kid on the school bus. I don't like where this story's going. <laughs> and I don't know. I was probably I don't know, 11 <laughs> or 12 at the time. Oh, it's getting worse. And going by one of the farms that, you know, you, you go through. And there are a lot of horses around here and shit. What are the and statue of limitations on where this is headed? <laughs> Look, hey. No, nobody got hurt here. Not physically. But I remember looking out a window into one of these like ranches, you know, horse stables and seeing a stallion with a rock hard horse erection. Thank God. I'm so happy that that's where this story went. So this giant horse cock <laughs> is on display to every, you know, man, woman and child on this school bus. And that is just too young an age to see a horse dick. I would argue. It, it was one of those things like, I know it's an animal. I know it's not a people, Chad. But still, it's just like, what the fuck? Where was he hiding that thing? Because when you see him flaccid, there ain't much going on with a horse. But erect, holy fucking shit. It's like they're hiding part of it in their tail. It's weird, isn't it? It is weird. I don't understand biology, Chad, or science for that matter. Oh, clearly. That seemed like magic. <laughs> Speaking of magic, let's talk about Magic Mike. Sure, and it, his horse did. <laughs> so, yeah, Magic Mike takes Adam. He's like, all right, you, you look like a scruffy bum, but I'm going to get you into this club. So he gets Adam into the club and off they go. The character of Magic Mike, at least in the first act of this movie, is incredibly charming. During this scene, it comes on in force. It, it, during this, Magic Mike introduces Adam to two girls. One of them is named uh, Portia and the other one is named Ruby. And there's a, there's a throwaway line that um, Adam says like, well, what do you two girls do? And they're like, us, <laughs> you know, and you're just like, oh. 
<laughs> we're Betty Rubble impersonators. Like, oh, well, that seems to fit both of you. After he says, like, hey, rule of thumb, never ask a woman whose first name starts with a flower, a car, or a stone what she does for a living. That's a funny line. It was funny. Magic Mike tells Adam that he wants him to go over and talk to these two girls at the bar. And one of these girls is wearing a tiara, and she has a sash announcing that it's her 21st birthday. And Adam says... I don't think that girl wants to be bothered. And Magic Mike says, look at what she's wearing. She came here to be bothered. That was the line in this movie that made me laugh harder than anything else in the entire film. <laughs> yeah. Th- like you said, this whole scene, he is so incredibly charming because the whole setup is he's going to send the kid over to talk to these girls with the expectation that he's going to flame out pretty spectacular. And in fairness, you know, the kid holds his own fairly well. And then Channing Tatum swoops in with, uh, you know, a couple of flyers, but is immediately like, Hey, what's this loser saying to you? Don't worry about him. What are you girls doing? Look at this tiara. I love this. How about, can I get you a drink? You want a drink? Oh boy. I'll tell you what, you girls really need to come with me in about 45 minutes. We're going to be doing a show right over here at Exquisite. <laughs> and he's handing her flyers and it's just this rapid, like super charming, wink and a smile stuff. And it's the reason that Channing Tatum is kind of a star. Like he, he can pull that shit off in a way that is a comparable to like early Bruce Willis almost of that kind of easy charm. So he hands out these flyers and then the kid is like, holy shit you're a stripper he's like yeah uh come on i you know well i i I think i can help you out and the idea is he's going to get him a job being a host or working the door you know we'll get to it he 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 drags him into exquisite before we go inside of exquisite i want to talk about the exterior of exquisite (laughs) yeah the fact that the sign looks like it might as well be like a a custom auto body shop it's this big plastic banner that's hung up badly there's just enough wrinkles in it that it's still legible but it really needs to be more taut on top of the building are two palm trees that are made out of like what look like christmas tree lights they're not real palm trees i mean everything about this just screams trashy florida it's really wonderful whoever was doing set design for this it was probably mcconaughey yeah you know quite frankly hey y'all got any palm trees I'm going to need two. One ain't going to do it. Symmetry, brother. Let me go to the back of my van. I'm pretty sure I've got at least one. Hey, Carlo, I, Carlo's a guy I ride with sometimes. Carlo, you got, is that palm tree back there? See, si, senor. See. Si. All right, all right. Palm trees coming up. We go inside the club, and here we get to see Matthew McConaughey as, as Dallas. But you cannot call him anything but Matthew McConaughey in his character. That's who he is. And he's inside. Yeah. He's, he looks amazing. He's wearing this pair of sunglasses indoors at night that truly had to belong to Elton John at some point. They are giant and gold. They wrap around. They've got these thick sides that just envelop his ears. And there are tiny diamond shapes sort of cut out to accent it. It's it's just incredible. And the, at the exact same moment, McConaughey is practicing his fire breathing on stage. Yeah. I, by the way, if uh, Elton John gave him those glasses, they would be signed Saturdays. All right, all right, all right for fighting. <laughs> but yeah, he is he is breathing fire. Channing Tatum and and Alex Pettifer walk in, and he stops, and he's just like, "That's pretty bitching, isn't it? You know, we're it's gonna be good for the Tarzan bit. Hey, who's a kid? And it's just like, man." 
I love everything about this guy. Like, I know he's a dirtbag. There is no question about that. But he's fascinating. Do you think in a different screenwriter and or director's hands that this character would have become more sinister? Or maybe as a different actor. But in it, I felt that even from beginning to end, his character is much more benign than... It would have been, and and I really thought a lot about Boogie Nights watching this movie, of just having people that were either much more violent or much more narcissistic or much more sociopathic. I mean, whatever you really want to, you know, kind of go down the path of those tropes of character behaviors that seem to be in line with just this person is way off the deep end because there's really nobody in this movie that goes to that extreme. It's not Requiem for a Dream and its depiction of drug use or anything. It's yeah. just like, yeah, it, there's kind of a thing, but it's not super serious. And maybe because this is a glimpse, Chad, into a life I couldn't possibly imagine. And that's really what cinema is, right? It's a window into a world you could never know otherwise. You mean one where teacup pigs eat vomit? That, a world where you stood on stage and women flipped the fuck out for you. Sure, maybe it's a little bit of a power fantasy. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it was just like, like there's a point in this movie where Channing Tatum picks up a woman by the chair, then drops the chair and manages to hang on to her and then just shoves her crotch in his face. Yeah. And people applaud it. It's one of those things of like, I will never do anything that smooth in my life. Yeah. And being able to get a window into it is kind of fascinating. And yes, there is that Boogie Nights version of this to be made where he gets like to the real raw shit. Mm -hmm. But this is kind of enough. This is like baby's first male stripper movie. <laughs> and I'm fine with that. So in the so, in the club, we get to meet all the other strippers. There's uh, Big Dick Richie and there's a guy named Tarzan. And then there's that other guy. And then there's this other dude. None of these strippers matter at all in this movie. They don't do anything other than stand there and, you know, be beefy and hunky and, and flip flop around on the stage. Yeah. The only one I really knew was Big Dick Richie uh -huh. because he was the werewolf on True Blood that uh -huh. everyone loved. They get. Uh, the Tarzan, I think it is, um, gets Adam to spray bronzer on his cap as kind of an initiation of sorts, then makes him rub it in. And the whole time, Adam is reluctant to do this, and then all the guys crack up, and they're like, hey, we're just fucking with you, kid. Hey, come on. Adam is set to work props that night, whatever that means. It doesn't matter. You know who played Tarzan in this, the, the stripper? It was Kevin Nash who was a, a WWE professional wrestler. I did not know that, mm -hmm. but that's interesting. All of the ladies stream into Exquisite, and the waiters in this place are all wearing, you know, bow ties and no shirt, a la Chippendales. And we don't ever get to meet anybody who works at this place other than the strippers, so don't worry about the back of the house. Uh, then we cut to backstage, and here we get to see the aforementioned penis being pumped up in a penis pump. Uh -huh. Um and I think it's it's Big Dick. Yeah, it's Big Dick Richie doing it because yeah. like Mike is telling the the kid like the schedule like all right, so we all go out as a group and then we're gonna dance there. And meanwhile, you see this dick slowly inflating in the foreground. Mm -hmm. I again, I thought it was hilarious. Do, uh, do you remember the first time that you ever heard about a penis pump? Like how it works? Like just the science behind it? 
I I don't know that I ever even looked into the science. I just heard the general, you know, procedure. And I was like, that doesn't seem like a good idea. Holy shit, have you used one? Is that where this is going? Absolutely not. Oh, fuck. All right. But it's I'm glad we got that out of the way, though. When I was in college, I was uh, dating a girl who had a friend who was a photographer and he threw this big Halloween party. It was, he was a gay guy and his, his partner and they threw this big Halloween party and we had to go there to drop off some decorations that she had picked up for him. So we went there and he was like, Hey, I'm downstairs. And so we went down and he had his, like his developing room, whatever we were there. And, and he, and you know, I'm just, you know, totally naive to how the world works. We go in and he goes, I got a penis pump today. And I'm like, well, that sounds interesting. You know, what is that? He goes, there's a videotape that shows you how to use it. Do you guys want to see it? And I'm like, sure. So it's like, click. And he hits play and it's like, hi there. Welcome to, you know, Suckertronic Incorporated. We're glad that you purchased your penis pump 2000. How does the penis pump work? Why does it work? Who is it for? And we watched this 15 minute video and it was a guy sticking his dick in a penis pump and blowing it up. And I mean, I was just, it was like, welcome to the real world, baby boy. Like, like, like what the, this is the most insane thing I've seen maybe ever. I've never used one. Um, I'm to be quite honest, having watched that video, I'm a little bit frightened to use it. I feel bad for the guy who worked at Suckatronic, whose job it was to create this industrial video. <laughs> uh, just like that, because he was probably freelancing it, you know, it's just he goes like business to business. It's like, well, here we make ceramics and we need to train people how to properly put items in the kiln. Here at Suckatronic, we uh, we make penis pumps. Wait, what? We need a video. You know, you you put your penis in this pump, what? and you just give it a a couple of good pumps here. In fact, I'll tell you. Let me just show you. Uh, it's easier that way. And you just give it a couple of good pumps there. Jesus. And boy, Christ. what are you, sir? Oh, look, it's big. Sir. Uh, just give it, and I'll tell you, you could just keep pumping away, boop, boop, boop. and it'll just get. 911, what is your emergency? And, you know, theoretically less painful over time. Help me. Help. So can you make a little jingle or something out of that? I'm not safe. Help me, please. Just get here. 911, we don't go to that building <laughs> anymore. <laughs> so. <laughs> Next, we get to meet Gabriel Iglesias, who's better known for his stand-up comedy and his high-pitched punchlines. He's, you know, kind of the jovial, heavy-set comedian who does the fluffy bits. It, you know, he comes in, he offers up this product that he calls Hey Juice, which I at first I thought it was a dick enhancer to go along with the the uh, penis pumps we were mentioning, but it turns out it's just kind of something that gets you a little fucked up. He's like, it's like booze, but without the calories or something like that. And then, and he's yeah. the the DJ at the club, right? Tobias, uh, the DJ. Yeah, Matthew McConaughey now introduces the first act, and it, and he basically he's the MC in his work in the crowd. He's just how does McConaughey open the night with the phrase? All right, all right, all right. How do you do that? Do you know what I mean? That's like if you're the Kool-Aid man and you're like, oh, yeah. Because there are movies where Matthew McConaughey acts like your Dallas Buyers Clubs. <laughs> there are movies where Matthew McConaughey is just Matthew McConaughey. And Matthew McConaughey says, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> he said it then and he says it now. And <laughs> so 
he, all right, all right, all right, so the dancers on stage who all show up in like raincoats and umbrellas. And Chad, those umbrellas, they are waving around like a bunch of penises. Mm-hmm. And it's getting the ladies all worked up. It is. It's a fun scene, and in fairness, like it, like there's some decent dancing, and it's a remix of "It's Raining Men," and you know, it's all fun. I especially like the part where all the strippers went into the crowd, and then they committed consensual sexual assault on all of these screaming women. Yeah, those ladies look like they're there for a good time. <laughs> and then Adam, he's hanging out in the wings of this stage, and he gets an idea. An awful idea. Atom got a wonderful, awful idea. Max, get my sleigh. Like, like, you could just see him grinning up like, oh, I want some of this. They go get their dance on and then dance with their pants on. <laughs> with their Jim danglers, their ball jigglers, their ass cracks and wigglers. Mm, you know, so, yeah, he's just gritty backstage like I would. Like, I would just be like, oh, look at how worked up everybody got over this. Holy shit, I think I could do that. How is this idiot going to be a stripper? It, it can't be that easy because, one, the guy's not really that fit. I mean, he's not right. fat or anything. And better yet, he has no dance training at all. There's a great moment we'll get to where McConaughey even says, like, he can't dance, but that's teachable. And... <laughs> <laughs> and there's a scene where he teaches it. We'll get to it. It's the best scene in the movie for my money. <laughs> you know, they go out and work the crowd and, and basically it's a lot of like, hey, I'm going to pick a lady up and shove her crotch in my face or or Chad. I'm just going to stick my dick in her face and everyone's going to have a good time, mm -hmm. which I mean, again, I guess this is a safe zone. For this sort of behavior. The only example of male strip clubs that I've ever had any visibility to were in the movie Magic Mike and in the movie DC Cab, where all the cab drivers basically just went and hung out outside the strip club because all the women came out and they were all comedically horny. And then they would, you know, pick them up and take them home and again, commit consensual sexual assault, one would presume. Yeah, I suppose my impression of male strip clubs and male dancing all comes from that SNL sketch with Patrick Swayze and Chris Farley. Yes. Where I got the impression at least that, yeah, it's just beefcake guys dancing for middle-aged women for the most part. There's part of me that really feels like it's beefcake guys dancing for other gay men. You know, I just, like I said, I feel like that's another club. I think that's a whole different, I think that's a block down. Yeah, and I think it's a hell of a lot more fun and a lot more fucking wild. I would love to see a gay version of Magic Mike. Uh, I'm sure they make that film. In fact, it's probably just called <laughs> Magic Mike. They probably have to name the sequel to this Magic Mike Double XL because Magic Mike Double X had already <laughs> been made and it is the movie that you're describing. I know what I'm doing later tonight. Sure. I... <laughs> I'll let you know how that goes. I don't please, mean, yeah, pick please. six movies after dark. <laughs> right. It's a special bonus episode <laughs> where we, we nitpick this shit out of gay pornography. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time and it won't be the last. <laughs> In our movie, uh, it turns out that Tarzan, uh, a.k.a. Kevin Nash, he, he's all jacked up on Hey Juice, so he can't get up on stage. And so uh, they... Magic Mike just pushes Adam out on the stage in his red hooded sweatshirt. And then Adam's out there in front of these women and he just, he proceeds to take off his clothes like 
a 15-year-old boy headed to the shower as his mom is just screaming at him, you know, like, excuse my language, but you stink to holy H-E double hockey sticks, sir. I mean, it's like left shoe, k-clunk, right shoe, k-clunk, left sock. (laughs) The fact that like a virgin is playing, I think is kind of funny in this scene. I think that's a good little audio joke. Yeah. But but yeah, he he finally like does this hop off the end of the stage and starts to get into it a little bit. He's a natural at sexually it, assaulting women. Well, it's the girl from the bar. So that made it easier, you know. Well, you know, he he knew his targets. He had groomed her, <laughs> I think is the term, Chad. The next uh, bit, like it, he wraps up his thing and goes backstage and everybody is appropriately congratulatory i suppose and then they they do the hot seats which they don't show it but i presume it's just musical chairs with boners i guess it's just it's a musical montage of stripping and women screaming and oh we do in this montage we get the the silhouette shot of big dick richie where they have a screen up and like the the deal is there's a woman on stage and she's in a chair on the other side of the screen which is lit from behind so it projects the silhouette of, of Big Dick Richie, and he he drops his pants, and the this dick the size of my arm mm-hmm. just tangles between this gentleman's legs. You don't get to see it, which is why I think it was a special effect, and I will continue to believe so uh, until <laughs> I am proven otherwise by a special feature. Maybe it was that horse you saw when you were a kid sneaking in there. I thought it was for a second. I had a whole like Mr. Ed flashback. It was terrifying. So that's the closest we get uh, after the pump scene. Uh, The rest of the movie's fairly tame when it comes to that kind of stuff. Yeah, Um, we don't we don't get to see too many more dicks. Maybe one, maybe one more naked ass, but that's about it. So yeah, after the hot seat stuff, we go backstage with the dancers who all have money stuffed in their drawers uh, because I like saying it that way. You know, it's a bunch of wadded up singles, a fistful of sweaty money, as uh, as good as kids would say. Then we have Matthew McConaughey and Magic Mike kind of after hours at the club talking about the finances. Matthew McConaughey, uh, because Magic Mike is due in the books and McConaughey is like how we do not and he's like well you know we did $2,500 better than last Friday and he's like all right all right that sounds good to me we're getting close to Miami brother me and you going all the way to Miami we're gonna be shaking our dicks for Miami women any day (laughs) and and across the bar, the other dancers are kind of chit-chatting with some ladies that stayed behind. I assume it's like, hey, you get your pick, kind of, of the women that really want to fuck the dancers. I don't know. I don't understand stripper economies and sexual economies uh, right. that well. My impression is that these are kind of dancer groupies that will fuck the dancers. Yeah, it ends with Adam getting a blowjob from the 21-year-old from earlier who was at the show. And then I think we see Matt. Mike fucking somebody I maybe mm-hmm. I don't know and then the movie gets real artsy fartsy with you know color overlays and edits and transitions and then suddenly it's daybreak and then Magic Mike and Adam and the 21 year old and her friend they go over to this bridge and then Magic Mike just jumps off the bridge into the water and then Adam jumps off the bridge after Magic Mike and then they're floating around the water and Adam says hey we should be best friends is this supposed to show his that he's young and innocent? Because it made him just sound like a total dum-dum in my book. 
Yeah, it does sound very childish. And Channing Tatum is just too charming and nice to be like, no, man, that sounds crazy. I would never do that. <laughs> Instead, he's just like, yeah, all right, I guess we better swim out of here, huh? It seems like the cold's really getting to you. You're starting to talk all crazy. <laughs> so Mike it takes Adam home, and when they get to his sister's place. Brooke's house. Brooke's house, where he's just going to pass out on the couch once more. So Mike and the sister kind of meet here, and she's dressed kind of like a nurse. And he's like, so are you a nurse or something? Turns out she's a medical assistant. And it's very clear that Mike is kind of taken with her inexplicably. Because, again, she's giving him nothing. You know, mm. he is being charming as shit and nothing. Right, because they these actors have no chemistry. And then Mike says to Brooke, he's like, so your brother says you like breakfast idiot and then brooke's like yeah you know uh fuck you i'm not making breakfast he's like nah i thought we were gonna go to ihop and then she's like uh nah probably not so mike's like all right i'm out of here and then that's that because we have to go to the best scene of the movie chat oh my god which is practice when we last saw mcconaughey Mm -hmm. he was telling channing tatum to bring adam to practice like no he can't dance for shit but there's something about him so here he is at practice and it's the first time mcconaughey is going to work with and the first instruction he gives him is take off your clothes so he starts to take off his clothes adam does you know in the same way that he did on stage you know the night before clump yeah and mcconaughey just hits him and is like you're taking your clothes off like a 12-year-old in a locker room. And (laughs) which is a great description. And then it's time to just let the cameras roll because McConaughey goes into this speech about like, no, man, you got to be what every woman wants. You've got to be the cock. (laughs) And it's just like staring into a mirror. As McConaughey is grinding the air, giving this speech about how we are every man they ever want to cheat on and we make it okay. You've left out some important details here, which I just want to say McConaughey is wearing these tight black boy shorts. He is wearing a yellow sleeveless tank top that comes up above his belly button. And he's got this do-rag sweat cap of sorts that is also bright yellow on his head. Mm -hmm. He looks like the cheerleader for Lance Armstrong's Tour de France bicycling team. Let me me tell you about Lance, man. He is good on a bike. This whole scene made me so uncomfortable. Watching Matthew McConaughey squat down behind Adam and like grind his dick into Adam's like back and his ass and he's like rubbing his thighs and his body and uh-huh, he's just smacking his ass like show me show me how you're gonna fuck that mirror son yeah and it's like, just like again this movie gets it it really made me uncomfortable sure it did because it's it's two goddamn handsome men looking like if they did not have pants on, they would have been fucking each other on screen. In the next scene, Magic Mike takes Adam to go shopping for sexy dance clothing. I guess it's like an adult bookstore or a sexy clothing shop. It's essentially Spencer Gifts from the year 2024. Right. It's like stripper topic. <laughs> I like this. Uh, uh, there's a moment in, in this scene where Channing Tatum actually does 
the all right, all right, all right. And it's very funny. It's like <laughs> him making fun of Matthew McConaughey a little bit, and it works. And they kind of talk about Dallas a little bit, and Adam is very ab- effusive in his praise yes. of Matthew McConaughey, looks up to him as a business owner, and just his lifestyle and everything about him. Like all the low-grade sleaziness of that character really <laughs> appeals to him. Channing Tatum, very rightfully, Mike, is like, I mean, he's okay, but let's not go overboard. Like, don't get too wrapped up in his bullshit. Then the kid's sister comes home. Brooke. Brooke and finds a box containing all the shit that Adam has bought with Mike. Which yeah. is a bunch of thongs and sexy you know, clothes. There's a sea captain hat in there. Right there. Right. A lot of like costume shit and, and just weird stuff. She starts looking for him like, hey, what is all this shit in the living room? He in the mean in the meantime is shaving his legs because apparently if you're a, a male stripper, you got to be all silky smooth. She is banging on the bathroom door as he's shaving his legs. She says that she needs to talk to him and he answers the door with the razor in hand and she's like what are you fucking doing like what what are you into what what lifestyle have you found yourself in the midst of her delivery line is more like what are you doing what's going on i can't believe this her performance is so flat that i can't tell if she's medicated or just unimpressed or bored you tell me it is all for work how am i supposed to believe that (laughs) get out of my sight I can't look at you right now. Brooke goes to the strip club to see her brother take off his clothes. Gross. Magic Mike comes up to Brooke and I guess she's pissed off at Magic Mike for introducing Adam to the world of stripping. And then Brooke looks over at Magic Mike and she says, you better take care of him. Care of him care of him and he gives her a bump and she shuts up talking for a second dallas introduces magic mike uh who's the featured performer and the way he introduces him is uh, again mcconaughey-esque where he says about seven years ago (laughs) i was looking down the street and there's this boy and i was like i'm gonna make him a star i knew he had something i knew he wanted (laughs) sorry I knew he'd want to shake his wang (laughs) for all of you. How is he the spokesperson for a car company? Like, that's the most (laughs) insane thing in the world. Those commercials sort of embody (laughs) him, too. Because it's just a series of non sequiturs of him like, look at me playing some pool. But how does that sell cars? That doesn't make any sense. I have no idea. If he's selling legal pharmaceutical marijuana in Colorado and California, and that makes sense. Like, the commercial could be him at that party or whatever. And it's just the narration of, like, you know, life is like the ocean. Those waves roll in. They're going to knock you down. Question is, you going to get up? Depends. Adult diapers. Shit where you eat. That would be a good tagline. For depends, shit where you eat. Uh-huh. <laughs> or shit when you eat. Shit when you eat. Mouth direct them. Depends. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cut all this out. We're going to make a billion dollars. <laughs> so Mike uh, does uh, his dance. And Brooke watches the whole thing and is, again, it's kind of hard to tell if she's curious or because she kind of looks at the stage and then she'll look away. And it's like, I guess she's embarrassed or I'm not sure what 
to make of this. Conflicted inside. Need more data. Must compute. He seems like a dirtbag, but also I like his wing. <laughs> what is a girl to do she she ends up taking off and mike is taking the the kid home after work and they have a conversation about you know brooke showing up at the club and adam's like oh i can't believe she came and and then mike says hey how much you make tonight and the kid says he made 230 dollars did you expect that to be a whole lot more i did but he only did the one dance okay because at first i i thought that and then i was like yeah but he never did anything else so for that however long like a virgin is six minutes that's pretty good it's 230 bucks that ain't nothing no 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 because like a virgin was the first time they just pushed him out on stage this was him you know he had had his homoerotic dance lesson and then he was really out there shaking his money maker yeah. So so yeah. he was making a little more. And then the, the next thing we get to see Magic Mike back at his home and he has a wall safe. What are the three things that you expect to see when you open a wall safe? Money for sure, like stacks of money. Right. Jewelry and paperwork. You know, like deeds and stuff. Right. I was thinking a gun, cocaine, and the antidote. <laughs> That's a much better list. That sounds like a more fun life. <laughs> If you took a painting off your wall and opened a safe that had a baggie of cocaine in it, even Uh if you never used it, wouldn't you feel cool for a second? (laughs) You're like, oh, shit, you know, my work randomly drug tests. I can't do cocaine. I'm 40 years old, for Christ's sake. That's crazy, but I like having it. Just for emergency. You put up there a little piece of glass, like, in case of Busey, a little hammer there. (laughs) Yeah, if you get a random Busey attack. <laughs> you, y'all got any cocaine? Yes, sir. Right this way. Quit, honey, you just wrap it up in some meat and throw it out the window. It'll go after it. <laughs> I think it's a real Joe Banks. Like, you got any whiskey? Nope. You know what I mean? Then <laughs> yeah. push comes to shove. You're like, you know what? I do have some cocaine. <laughs> You know, I just did a bunch of cocaine and I had a great idea. We should get some more cocaine. Magic Mike then goes to the bank to get a business loan for his trash to furniture business. And he wears a suit and a tie and some glasses. He's trying to look all business-like. And then the loan officer is um, Ree, uh, Hank's wife from Breaking Bad. And Magic Mike whips out a stack of cash. It turns out he's got a bunch of bad credit, so no loan for you. Well, the way he describes it, he was like, the businesses I work in deal in a lot of cash. It's like, you are not helping your cause with that excuse. Are we supposed to be rooting for Magic Mike or are we supposed to pity him? What was your take on this character at this point in the movie? I mean, you know, I feel conflicted uh, about him. Uh, I mean, but I think that's kind of the journey of the film, right? Is that he is such a mess that he has these grand plans and the, and the plans themselves are not inherently terrible, but he has no real passion for any of it. It's just, he's just trying to figure out what the fuck to do with his life. And stripping is just the easiest thing, you know? Like, that's the thing paying the bills. And all this other stuff is kind of window dressing. Then we get a title card, July. So I'm like, okay. You could remove these title cards. They don't add anything to the movie. Like, the progression of time. Like, I don't care. This could be one week, one month, one year. Like, okay. Doesn't matter to yeah, me. Yeah, it kind of doesn't matter. Mike is uh, ringing the doorbell at Brooks' house while the you know uncharacteristically is. dressed as Marilyn Monroe, blonde <laughs> wig and all, and he's singing "Happy Birthday" and it's the Fourth of July. Uh-huh. And, and Brooke looks back at him and she's like, "Hmm, haha, look at you, dressed as a woman, but you are a man." 
and he's like, like, come on, you should be having fun. Let's let's go have a, a party. It's 4th of July. Okay, let me get my swimming clothes for my body. Being charming, he's like, hey, you can't say no to a sandbar party. We're about to go to a sandbar party. You got to come. Right, she is completely flat. I For a second, I thought she just said no until they were on the boat. <laughs> she has this real sour look on her face while a song that probably was in the movie Garden State 2 is playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mike is making an honest-to-goodness attempt to flirt with her. At the sandbar party. Right, at the sandbar party. And then, surprise, surprise, Olivia Munn shows up. She is approaching this like, hey, we have an understanding where we're going to hook up. And if he happens to be with a girl, then she's welcome to come too. Olivia Munn gets real handsy with Brooke. Olivia Munn's character in this movie may be the perfect girlfriend. For somebody, not me. You know, because sure, I, no, yeah, I, don't, I, don't I, don't, I don't go for that free-spirited type. I mean, you know, if she wanted to get a drink sometime, I wouldn't be rude. You know what I'm saying? But I, that's that's not that's not for me. <laughs> it, it seems exhausting. Is <laughs> what my read on it. <laughs> McConaughey, when he gets off the boat, he's there with his bongos. Which look, where McConaughey goes, so too there go bongos. Hey, did <laughs> you say we're going somewhere on a boat? Well, then I'm bringing bongos. If I'm gonna be drinking. I gotta have my gun. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> what? <laughs> We're gonna go up to the sandbar later. Be cool if you ditch the loser. So we can talk about that later. Um, it's all him. It's all him. And Dude, in the in this scene, McConaughey is laying in a deck chair and he is drinking wine from a silver goblet, wearing a black cowboy hat. Uh-huh. He's just holding court. It is. It's just amazing. It's again. I, I think I've used the word already uh, this episode, but it is glorious because it starts with him saying, "I wish I'd never gone to school." <laughs> and you're like, "Oh, go on, please. This is going to be priceless." At this point, Brooke says, "I'm going to." wander off aimlessly no one follow me i do like the fact in in this scene that she has a moment where she's like it's a real you ate what kind of moment (laughs) where he's just like i tell you what if i if i ever have a kid i'm i ain't gonna send him to school i'm just gonna put him in front of a television make him watch mad money by the time he's 18 he's gonna be rich and Brooke is just like, you know what? I'm out. This is the dumbest shit I've ever heard. So I'm just going to walk along the sandbar, which I know is only about 38 feet in perimeter. But <laughs> whatever I got to do to get away from you. How far are you going? Into this fence? Okay. Good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. And Mike catches up with her. And again, is being kind of charming about it and kind of, you know, uh, making fun of Dallas and his story and what, whatever. Actually says like, hey, um, uh, did you want to go ahead and uh, give me your number to give to Dallas? He's going to be a life coach. So if you want uh, some of more of that philosophy, uh, I can I can hook you up. And it's kind of a funny little moment. She is kind of talking to him about being on stage. And he's like, oh, you saw that. You stayed and saw me dance. But the scene just kind of ends in a fizzle where she just reiterates, I need you to look after my brother. Well, she also tells him, she's like, Adam Download, who had scholarship. He lost it by getting in a fist fight with his coach on the first day of practice. He has anger management issues. 
And he's like, oh man, that's good to know. Not really, but okay. Right. Sounds like you're just laying a bunch of shit on me. Yeah. And I just want to hook up with you. How about, you know, keep it in first, second gear before we hit fourth. And we're talking about me taking care of your blood relatives. Later that night, we're back at Exquisite because this place is open 365. Their little sandbar party was only during the day of the 4th of July. So all of the strippers are there and they are doing a patriotic 4th of July dance number. Boy, are they. (laughs) (laughs) It's a real Yankee doodle dandy. Again, it's the movie throwing the brakes on. And just being like, ladies, this is what you came for. Yep. And here's some ass. Like, Matthew McConaughey is in some ridiculous Apollo Creed flag top hat. I mean, it's nonsense. It's wonderful. It's Apollo Creed Rocky Four. If Apollo Creed's outfit from Rocky Four had breakaway pants... That's what he's wearing. That yeah. Yes, this is the McConaughey outfit. The evening comes to a close and Magic Mike takes Adam back to his sister Brooke's apartment. And Adam's drunk because he's, you know, just a piece of shit. Brooke is there with the guy from earlier, the one she had the beer with in the bar that she couldn't finish. And then Magic Mike, he just throws on his charm again as he's leaving the house and kind of, you know, pointing at him like, I thought he would be taller or bigger. And again, it's just Channing Tatum doing what he does and it works really well and then brooks like you know you are very handsome i like you better than this guy maybe something will happen in the future the future the future so he leaves mike is back at his place and he's having a drink as he's like flattening and sorting all his money from the night the like sweaty crotch flop bills that were tucked into his ball sack it made you <laughs> never want to touch money again didn't it I- Look, man, like everybody has to make a living. I'm not I'm not saying that stripping is a, a poor calling even, mm-hmm. but man, just somebody rubbing sweaty balls on the dollars is not cool. This is how cryptocurrency got started. Somebody was like, I'm not touching sweaty dick $20 bills anymore. You you scratch it just a little bit. You're going to find Howie Mandel behind Bitcoin. <laughs> just, I'm never going to touch a thing again. Magic Mike calls up Olivia Munn. He's like, hey, why don't you come over and we'll fuck? So she does. And the two of them are just kind of laying about. And then she starts telling him how she's going to be a psychologist and she's wrapping up her school. So she kind of has her life together. And at this point, you realize that she's like, hey, look, I just show up here to have sex with you and I'm done. Like, quit asking me questions about my life. This is as far as things are going to go. So Magic Mike is all alone. Yeah, she takes off. And then the movie again is just like, hey, I don't think we've had enough. Who needs some consensual rape? I do. So the strippers and, rape women in this club with their crotches on their these women's mouths or they're putting their faces on these strange women's crotches. Here's another reason I like these scenes so much. I don't really have to take notes. It's just like, <laughs> hey, they dance around and throw their dicks in people's faces. I liked it because I could fast forward through it. Big Dick Richie, the, like the point of this montage, is that Big Dick Richie throws his back out whipping around a, a, a slightly heavy set girl. I, you know, it's kind of a funny little gag true story that happened true story yeah that's probably one of those channing tatum like here's something funny that happened one time we had this guy named little dick leonard we'll change that for the movie so at a party later tito uh one of the other dancers is is talking about rich dad poor dad 
to some some lady on the couch with him and you kind of get this is the point in the movie where i started to make a a real one-to-one kind of analogy this movie could have been a movie about people who work at a late night bar and not been strippers and it kind of would have been the same movie except not all the beefcake but that's kind of the story being told it would not have been as successful at the box office because people were paying 10 to 15 bucks to go see a movie where hunky guys shake their asses and their chests without potentially the embarrassment of actually going to a live mail review. But there is this element of it that is just about like, hey, they're all caught up in this lifestyle that the job becomes the lot. There's a hurricane going on outside and they're having this party. At McConaughey's house. Yeah, at McConaughey's place where they're all just drinking and cutting up and having a good time. Mike gets on the phone with Joanna, who is Olivia Munn, and is just like, hey, what you know, I'm just hanging out and thinking about some fucking. How about that? And she turns him down. She's like, I, you know, I got a thing. This is the real fear and loathing in Tampa moment where you see this girl, Nora, that Adam is into feeding a little pot-bellied pig with a bottle and she's getting drugs from like this is uh the boogie nights moment kind of right where she's getting drugs from matt bomer who is the guy uh i don't what i don't remember his name in the movie i just know he was on that usa show um who's everything you said made it less clear who this character is in this movie He's anyway, he's the guy who's who has the wife in the film. So when I, Nora and Adam go into the bedroom to get drugs from him, they have a I, foursome. Well, he's like, like, you can fuck my wife and there's a pig in the corner. But it's way creepier than that, because at first he's just like, hey, you like my wife's tits? You want to you want to touch him? And he's just like, uh, I don't know if that's cool, man. Like, it's sort of the uh, the scene from Suicide Squad with the Joker and Harley Quinn at the club. Right. You know, where it's just like, I don't know the right answer to that question. I mean, kind of, but also you're right here. Uh, Matt Bomer just keeps saying like, no, go ahead, man. It's cool. Just go ahead and touch him. And she's like perking him up for uh, Adam. And it's like, oh, no, they're real. Give him a feel. And it's this really creepy scene that culminates in him feeling up Matt Bomer's wife and looking at him and just being like, I fucking love you, man. And he's like, it's cool, man. No, I fucking love you. And it's such a weird, creepy scene. A couple things you didn't mention when it comes to McConaughey's house is that in his home, there is a giant carved bust of Matthew McConaughey in the home, as well as at least one oversized painted portrait of him in this home. Yeah, like even if they were gifts, in the best case scenario, these were all gifts. During this scene, we also get to see uh, Gabrielle Iglesias, the the club DJ. He comes over to Adam and he was like, hey man, uh, you want to go in and buy a bunch of drugs and we can become drug dealers? To which Adam's like, yeah, man, that sounds great. I'm, I'm full of bad life decisions. This just seems par for the course. Yeah, and, and probably worth noting as well that Mike goes out of his way when Adam is like, hey, who's the girl that looks kind of crazy over there? He's like, Nora? Stay the fuck away from her. And he's like, hmm, so hook up with her, you say? You mean the one bottle feeding a teacup pig is uh, <laughs> is a little on the weird side? Might be a little goofy, yeah. And her hair is dyed bright pink. Hmm, Okay. You say so. You say so. I, I don't know. I'm 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 young. 
I'm 19 or maybe I'm 23. I mean, I look 35, but I have, you know, I have no life experience. But Yeah, he does look old for 19 for sure. But maybe that's kind of the thing, you know. I really felt like that they should have cast somebody who looked clearly younger. But Yeah, yeah. Because uh, he looks they, roughly the same age as Channing Tatum, really. He looks older than Channing Tatum. <laughs> he does. It's a hard <laughs> living. <laughs> so then we get a title card that says August. So like, you're, to which the audience is like, okay. But what? It was just June a couple of title cards ago. Shut up, you. Um, Adam and Magic Mike show up at Brooke's apartment, and now Adam has a big black truck just like Magic Mike's. Brooke and Magic Mike go to grab some food at some bar and do a little day drinking, and the two of them have more of this opposite of chemistry that they're so famous for. These two characters share, I guess it's what you would technically call dialogue, I'm not sure what else you would call it as they chat from one another. Because Magic Mike, once one moment in this scene that really makes me laugh is that they order some beers and Mike gets two beers for himself and Brooke gets one for herself. He's an adorable alcoholic. Well, you know, he's burning through a lot of calories every day, Chad. Magic Mike and Brooke sit down again to get drunk in the middle of the afternoon. And Magic Mike once again invites Brooke to go and get some food sometime on a date, as one would call it. And before Brooke can process the answer of no, her brother Adam just comes strolling across like this grassy knoll that surrounds a go-kart track where they're having this date. And he just jumps the safety fence to, so that he can, you know, I guess what, get a free beer? You know, maybe he just, he immediately, sure. knows, he just kind of sniffs out booze and... Specifically his sister's beers. <laughs> You going to finish that? <laughs> right. His Brooke scent starts tingling when she's got a Stella in her hand. <laughs> they reveal that they've got this gig coming up at a sorority house and Brooke is leaving and they're like, fine, you know, we've got the keys. And she's like, no, I've got the keys. And then they chase after her. Ha ha ha. This is fun. You are giving chase. I have the car keys. Our banter is pleasing to me. You need them to operate the vehicle to take transport to the sorority house where you will be taking off your clothing. You will be going to human college. (laughs) So these two show up at the sorority house and to make a long story short, stripping ensues. Adam gives a girl ecstasy to one of the female attendees. And at the sorority house, there's like 10 frat boys. And after like 20 minutes, it's, you know, it's all they can stands and they can't stands no more. So they come in there and they bust up the stripping shenanigans. And one of them smashes a beer bottle onto Adam's head. And then just a full melee ensues. Magic Mike and Adam, they escape, you know, wearing their G-strings and nothing but a grin. These police belts and thongs. And a billy club. Yeah. You know, they're just, they're high-stepping out of there all but naked. And it's not really funny. It's it's a pretty violent scene. But it turns out that Adam has left his backpack there. And his backpack contains the portion of the pills that he purchased with Gabrielle Iglesias. Um, because Adam is now dealing drugs, I guess. The money was all fronted by Tobias, the DJ. Right. So when Mike hears this and he's like, how much are you in for? Adam tells him it's $1,000. It's not a big deal. He says he had 100 pills. And Mike says, well, 100 pills at 10 bucks a pill, it's $1,000. So Mike's the one who comes up with the $1,000, you know, kind of the the $1,000 price point that he's in for. But it turns out, ladies and gentlemen, it's worth $10,000. Sure. It's 
It's a lot of money. Yeah, but the kid isn't worried about it because he thinks that he's going to get points on this new club in Miami, and he's just loving life. Meanwhile, Mike is feeling all this pressure, you know, from hey i can't get a loan i can't th- there's this girl i like who is kind of not crazy about the life i'm leading and i found the wall of a porta potty that the ocean gave me i could definitely make some sort of a shower stall out of this that someone may pay four dollars and 18 cents for on etsy that's why it's not a sound business plan and that's why the banks are rightfully telling him no his variable cost in that business is pretty damn low I mean, it's just like whatever the ocean gives me, I turn into treasure. Except most of it's still crap. (laughs) Therein lies the rub. That sometimes you can't polish a turd. I took this human corpse and I duct taped a tire to it. Who wouldn't (laughs) want this in their house? I put a clock in his left nipple. I figure the torso will last longer than most of him. So Magic Mike is just wandering along the streets of Tampa and he goes past a restaurant and he sees Olivia Mund inside and he's like, hey, let's see what's doing in here. So he goes inside and she's really a little uncomfortable with him being there. And at this point, she introduces Magic Mike to her fiance. Awkward. And then she just gives him the brush off. She's like, yeah, we're not fucking anymore. I'm a therapist now and I got a husband and I'm not fucking a male stripper anymore right right now maybe later it was fun while i was in school but hey we've all got to grow up i'm gonna keep your number but right now the answer is no soft no it's a no with an if (laughs) it's a yes with a with a win um (laughs) <laughs> we go, we go, we go back to the strip club, and Tobias, the DJ, he's sitting there alongside Matthew McConaughey, and McConaughey is wearing this old lady bathrobe and a pair of readers that are just right on the bridge of his nose. Mm-hmm. It's a good look, <laughs> and he's like, "Well, y'all boys just done fucked up. What in the holy hell happened at that sorority?" Well, you see, sir, we were on our <laughs> way to the bingo parlor, and. The directions got all fouled up. In fairness, Mike isn't taking any shit. You know, like, he immediately is is like, hey, you're not running. Like, I can get out of here. I can find a job. I walk right out of that that front door right now and, and get money. And Matthew McConaughey very pointedly tells him, yeah, but you haven't, you didn't, and you won't. Which is just calling Mike on his bullshit. Which is like, hey, I'm this entrepreneur, but in reality, he's just a stripper that has a bunch of side jobs that don't make any money. Right. A nice little point and moment between the two of them, I think. It is, but this whole movie really, in my opinion, feels like it never gets out of third gear. Like, even these scenes aren't as emotional or... They're not exaggerated. They They don't play, like, melodrama. They just play, like, well, this this scene just kind of happens. And... (laughs) I, I can I totally understand what you're saying, but I thought that the emotional understatement of the movie, I think, kind of works. I think we both agree with, with each other's points. I just felt like that there would be a boiling point where emotions and perspective would come to a head, and it really doesn't. It always maintains a level of civility that I kept expecting somebody to actually come in and shoot someone in the head or something to for the movie to have an emotional eruption, and it really doesn't. Right. Brooke, the robot, 
does give an Oscar-worthy performance a little bit later where she breaks down. And when I say Oscar-worthy, it's basically just the clip that they would have shown had she gotten nominated for this role, which she was never going to do. Right. Tobias, while Dallas and Mike are kind of talking shit up to each other, Tobias very quietly asks Adam about the drugs. And Adam is like, man, I I lost them. And... Oops! And... (laughs) Oh, no! We've got to hide all this pornography! (laughs) It's still one of my favorite things that's ever happened in my life. (laughs) We may go back and do... Return of Swamp Thing, just 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 to see what happens a second go round. You know, at a certain point, I feel like there will be that season where it's like, let's bring back Swamp Thing, let's bring back Sharky's Machine, let's bring back some of the classics, and let's see what happens. If we do that, we'll bring a third in. We'll get another perspective, well, uh, no, and sure, we're gonna, and we'll call it Three's Company. We'll we'll find six random people to come be part of it. We're never going to do that. Yeah, we're not just going to go cruising to bus stations to find somebody to talk about a movie. <laughs> well, they'll have to be properly vetted. <laughs> um, at at any rate, so like at the show, Dallas, aka Matthew McConaughey, backstage finds Mike in some kind of fucked up harness. Yeah, it's like tactical gear. Like that you would put grenades in or ammunition. He says, rightfully, what in the hell is this? And <laughs> and Mike says, well, you told me that I needed some fresh shit. So that's what I did. Here's my fresh shit. And then he goes out and does a robot dance. His ability to dance is really, really good. And I know I noted earlier that, you know, he had done other movies that were really focused on dancing as, you know, kind of a core concept. But in this, there were just a few things I was like, wow, I wonder what that would feel like to be able to move your body in such a fluid, graceful fashion. With women screaming and wanting to fuck you at the end of the day. Well, that's what I was saying earlier about this peek into a life that I'll never have. Where it's like, oh my God, could you just imagine backflipping off a stage into a crowd of women who are trying to grab your junk? I mean, after a while, I'm sure it would get tiring, but I'd like to give it a spin. When you say a while, are you like like 22 to 23 years? Like, I don't know. Until I meet Mrs. Wright, I suppose. <laughs> So after this dance move, Magic Mike goes on a drug and alcohol-fueled bender with Adam, I think. There's a whole lot of abstract color, and there's a bunch of sex going on, I think. The way that it's shot with the five o'clock shadow beards of Adam and the tight abs, it really felt like you were walking through an Abercrombie and Fitch store, but without the overwhelming stench of cologne. Yeah, it was like if you accidentally tripped on LSD inside an Old Navy. Yeah, it really gets a little artsy-fartsy. And during the scene, we realize that Adam is having sex with the pink haired girl from earlier because that miniature teacup pig is rooting around. And then we cut to the next morning and Magic Mike wakes up with some random girl in his bed. And then Brooke shows up and she's angry because she doesn't know where her brother Adam is. Magic Mike and Brooke go upstairs and they find Adam passed out in a puddle of his own vomit. And the little pig is there eating his puke and it's adorable. First off, that is a story that you are definitely going to tell at a later date. How could you not? That's amazing. You have to know the crap for that one that's a story similar to that one time you saw a dead body in the morgue on accident 
You know, like you got to know the audience for that. You can't pull that out like the first time you meet someone at a party. No, they would look at you uh, with skepticism. Here's the problem, Chad. You can't start the show with a showstopper. <laughs> at one, now, at this point in the movie, I was thinking Adam is going to be dead. Yes, he should be dead. And if he were dead, I think it would make this a better movie. But he's not. Here, Brooke does that Oscar speech I talked about earlier. And then she calls out Magic Mike for being a loser and being a 30-year-old male stripper who gets to fuck whoever he wants, whenever he wants. Cry me a river. And then Brooke cradles Adam in her arms and she weeps openly. She's like, boo-hoo, boo-hoo. I am sad emotions at very low levels. And then she drives Adam back to her apartment and he's in the back of the car, just kind of passed out. And she keeps saying like, I can't do this anymore, anymore. And you're just like, do what exactly? I never got the sense of her being his keeper or his protector. It was just more like, you know, she's kind of keeping a casual eye on him. I think that is part and parcel of the, you need to keep him safe. We are making a human agreement. You know, it, those scenes. <laughs> the following scene, we get to see Magic Bike sitting on the beach, thinking about stuff. You know how you do at the beach. Right. And immediately I was like, boy, this is a better movie than 10. Two, <laughs> two guys sitting on a beach thinking, I'll take Channing Tatum over Dudley Moore and that shitty Blake Edwards movie any day. <laughs> I'll take John Turturro with a mystery box beside him if, you, if push comes to shove. Look, I mean, at that point, you're just riding in the high country. <laughs> Magic Mike goes back to his apartment and there are two dudes in there just ransacking the place. And then Tobias, the DJ, he's there and it turns out that these two thugs are looking for Adam and the money that he owes him for the drugs that he lost. Here we find out that the drugs are worth $10,000. And then Magic Mike says, all right, I'll just pay for the drugs to settle this debt. What? Why is he doing this? Why wouldn't you just be like, oh yeah, let me give you an address and a phone number and his favorite day drinking locations. <laughs> and at the very least, go to Exquisite. Here's a flyer. Go to the front. I'm Magic Mike. They'll let you right in. You can find him. Beat the shit out of this guy and we'll all be good. Here's my theory. I think this is the moment that, uh, because I wondered the same thing. Like when he pays for it, I was like, well, no, fuck. Why, why on earth would you do it for this awful human being that has declared that you are his friend? You don't owe him nothing, Magic Mike. No. I think the reason that he's doing this is because he is reaching this moment of realization in the film that all this money he saved up and that kind of thing, that even though it's impressive, it's all been for nothing because there's nothing for him to spend this on. Like, he does want this furniture business, but to do it, he's got to go through these other steps, and he's been too busy shortcutting his whole life. And now he's confronted with adulthood and realizes that, well, at the very least... I can honor this responsibility that I made to Brooke, which is to take care of him. Do you think it's wrong for me to want this movie to be a little more heavy handed? No, I don't think that's wrong. I think if you get much heavier then all the scenes of them dancing and cutting up and cavorting. Yeah. I, I think that becomes a different thing. And I think at the end of the day, Soderbergh intended this movie to be fun. I went into this movie thinking it was going to be more of not a comedy, but, you know, tipping the scale from comedy to drama. It was going to veer a little more into the comedy lane than the drama. And it's it's definitely much more of a drama than a, you know, yeah. romp. 
but what I like about it is it kind of surprised me by being a bit of a character study of mm-hmm. like, no, the movie, yes, it, the backdrop is the male stripper stuff, but the, the movie itself is really about this guy who's kind of aimless and drifting in life and who thinks he's got it all figured out until circumstances lead him to the point where he realizes, oh shit, I don't. And that I'm I'm kind of starting back from zero in terms of just trying to figure out what I want my life to be. Magic Mike goes over to Brooke's apartment um, looking for Adam. And Adam's not there, but Brooke is there. And Magic Mike, you know, asks, you know, where is he? And she's like, I don't know. You are, you know, an old stripper. And then Magic was like, hey, this is bullshit. He was like, so this is how things are going to end between us. Is that how it's going to end? And I was like, in what? Are You guys aren't dating. You've day drank together. You went to a, you know, Dave and Buster's or something and played video games and rode go-karts or something. But I never felt that their relationship in this movie got to the point where it began to take root. Even if it yeah. were to take root over their individual obligation to be a protector of Adam and that that was the thing that brought them together. And I think that that's what the movie was trying to do. But it never really, in my opinion, coalesced in any real meaningful way. You know, I think this scene comes as close for me. I think, you know, him saying very emotionally, you know, I'm not my job. Like, I I, I want to do all these other things. And her saying, look, I think deep down you are a good person. But you're not the person you think you are. Yeah, I like when she says when you go to Miami, you're just going to be a bigger version of what you are now. Yeah. But that's true of everybody, man. You go to Miami, boom, it's going to happen. Welcome to Miami. (laughs) Carl Young said, you are what you do, not what you say you'll do. Yes. I think that is uh, most often the case. And Mm. like we've said, it would be nice if there were more response out of her, if it felt like it was a little more give and take. I I think Channing Tatum's actually quite good in in the scene. She basically ends the scene by saying, look, you go to Miami, I wish you and Adam both good luck, but I'll be here in Tampa because I'm keeping it classy. And the kid and Mike are meeting at a picnic table on the beach in the next scene. Adam is saying that he's going to pay Mike back. And another scene that I, I kind of like is Adam saying, thank you so much for, for my life. Like, I never thought I could be a guy who does drugs and strips on stage and gets laid a bunch. And you can see it on Channing Tatum's face where he's just like, I know you think you're complimenting me, but everything you're saying is kicking me in the balls right now. Adam's like, just think of me three months ago when you first met me. Think of that and look where I am now. And that's because of you. Thanks, Magic Mike. And he's just like, fuck. This was the scene that made me go back and say, okay, you kind of need those place cards. To let us know how long this movie took to occur. That at least stitches together the construct of the film. Sure. And it's kind of, I guess, kind of the idea of like, this is just, all of this happened over a summer. But anyway, so then we go back to Exquisite. Let's get to it. Oh, fuck. I talked about this scene in the introduction. And it's the Ladies of Tampa song. Which, you know what? Tampa is kind of like the Arby's of florida it's for some reason people just pick on it like it's this shithole of derelicts and vagrants tampa is a lovely city whatever it it, it is what it is in this scene mcconaughey (laughs) sings this song ladies of tampa he sings this heartfelt song it ends with him fire breathing he destroys a guitar and then he proceeds to strip with such conviction 
that you kind of feel it when you're watching the movie. I mean, he's just like ripping off his pants and yanking off his shirt and just... Chad, he doesn't just yank off his pants. This is like a multi-stage rocket of a strip tease where he grabs just the ass of his pants Mm -hmm. and pulls and like he's got panels on the thing. Yeah. Not not the front of the pants. I mean, he basically turns his pants into assless chaps with uh, a tug of the wrists. It is the best. Like he plays this song. Then breeze fire, then smashes the guitar like Jimi Hendrix. And you're just like, I don't know what's going on here, but I love everything that's happening in this scene. Can you imagine being on set when they filmed this? Nobody but nobody. Only one person on set that day knew what was going to happen. Uh-huh. And it was McConaughey. You know, I don't even think he knew. No, like no. He was just- I do it in a moment, man. <laughs> Steve, you're just going to want to let the camera roll on this one, brother. I'm feeling weird tonight. Give me my guitar. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. You're just like, oh my God, this is going to cost us so much money. Get the union on the phone. <laughs> How much Tell- insurance do we have? Fuck. Like, what's our liability? Hey, you know, earlier in that movie when I was breathing fire, I'm going to do it again, Steve. I'm going to do it in this scene, and I'm going to do it with a guitar. During this scene, Magic Mike is down in the uh, the stripper preparation area. <laughs> the stripper prep area. Like, in one of the tubes that the strippers are kept in to keep them young and vibrant. He's just staring at all the other strippers with this focused point of view. It, it's just this, like, seething contempt as they're, you know, yucking it up and slapping each other and spray tanning. And Magic Mike just gets up and walks out. He's gone. McConaughey comes down and he's like, you know, where's Magic Mike? And like, well, he's gone. So he's like, all right, Adam, you're the new Magic Mike. We have a new leader of the strippers. Right. I knew Magic Mike, the king of the cocksmiths or whatever he calls him. When he's like, ladies, I want you to welcome the king coxa Tampa. So Magic Mike goes over to Brooke's house and knocks on the door and she's like, please come inside. I would love to speak with you. He says, hey, do you want to go have breakfast? And Brooke says, well, there's only one place that I eat consumables. It does not open until 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And he's like, well, that's in seven hours. She poses the question, what could we do for seven hours? Wink, wink. Also incorrect it is six hours 58 minutes 47 seconds till open 46 45 (laughs) and you're watching this and i was like so they're gonna have sex for seven hours okay i here's my read on this i think she like she's seen him dance she knows what he's capable of i think this is more of a like we're gonna fuck for about i don't know 60 minutes at best Mm -hmm. and then i'm gonna pass out for six hours yeah. I'm going to need some rest. And then 16 pieces of bacon, a pot of coffee, a double <laughs> right. stack of pancakes, uh, right. oatmeal. Training <laughs> like a goddamn Olympic swimmer just to keep up with him. And then we get fade to black roll credits. Well, feels like the first time plays. Oh, you go right to hell, Steven Soderbergh. I watched this movie knowing there's a sequel. And at the end of it, I just kept thinking, I have so many unanswered questions. Sure. Does he pay back the $10,000? Do they go to Miami? Does she get an upgrade to her operating system to where she can feel true emotions? 
I don't know. I got to tell you so much, man. I, I don't know what the sequel is. I have no idea. What I want it to be is that Channing Tatum has gotten out of the stripping business, is running his furniture shit or whatever, but he has to go back and strip one more time to save something. At Club Exquisite, the rec center, I don't care. But he's got to like go around, like make it a buddy movie where he's got to go to all, you know, like Big Dick Richie and Tito and get them together for one more ride. We are only three movies into this season, and we already have an equal number of sequels that we potentially should go watch to answer all of our unanswered questions. Two of them from Fifty Shades of Grey, and one of them from Magic Mike. Ugh, let's be fair. There is no way, unless we do it for this show that you or I will ever watch any of those Fifty Shades movies. Never! No, and I'm not watching Magic Mike XXL either. I'm kind of interested. I kind of want to know what that sequel is. I'll tell you what, you watch that, I'll go watch the Fifty Shades, and then we'll compare notes. Yeah, please do. Tell me if anything remotely sexy happens. Because <laughs> I can guarantee you what, what happens in Magic Mike Double XL, some man ass is happening. As you noted in your introduction, uh, you know, a, a piece of art being a big cock tease. If ever there was one, that Fifty Shades movie was one of the greater cinematic cock teases of all time. Yeah, this movie delivered what it offered up. Or you saw, you know, shaking asses and tight abs and pecs. And if, if you'd never seen a male review and you wanted to see a movie about a male review, this movie delivered on it. So. Yeah. Good for you, Magic Mike. Sure. Yeah, Channing Tatum, I think, is real charming in it. And, you know, it's it, like I said, it was, it was kind of surprising that it turned out to be sort of this poignant character study dressed up as a male stripper movie. I enjoyed the first half of this movie more than the back half. The back half lost me a little bit. I, I kind of got bored with it, it. It kind of like started high and then and then went downhill from there for me. Eh, but still, I think it's inarguably the best thing we've seen this season. So in this movie, we got to see a lot of asses. We mm -hmm. got to see six packs and pecs in our next movie. We get to see another great big dick. If I remember correctly, is that correct? Yeah, it's, it's going to be six degrees of Kevin Bacon's penis. Mm. Um, which is actually more of a 98.6 <laughs> from what I understand. No. So wild things was, scandalous in its day mm -hmm. and i am very curious to revisit that film to see if it is as ribbled as i recall and also let's not forget that movie is some dumbass murder mystery too yes we're doing double duties it's like a porno with jessica fletcher wait it's nothing like that i don't know what that means <laughs> yeah i've written some fan fiction like that <laughs> who hasn't right <laughs> So thank you so much. Uh, come back next week. We will be discussing wild things as we continue this season of you can do it. All things sexy. It's uh, pick six movies after dark uh, where uh, naughtiness has a home. Bo, any final thoughts on Magic Mike? No, only that uh, we can now put the, the stripping behind us uh, until we do it again later this season. <laughs> I can guarantee there's more stripping ahead. Yeah, a lot more stripping. Go ahead and, and, and fill those towels with ice. Put them right on your groinal regions. You're going to need it. Yeah, nothing but hotness from here on out. That's right. Um, as always, like, rate, review, tell somebody, send us a note. Thank you for spending some time with us. And uh, come back next week as things are going to be filled with uh, murderous mystery and lesbian makeouts and um, giant Kevin Bacon dick. 
<laughs> it's big dick Kevin. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs>